Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, last time, uh, we talked about musical instruments. Yes. You're going to have to remind me which type. I think there was something with strings. Yes. Something with yes, <laughs> uh, flutes. Um, yes. Well, we started off with the old ones, yes. right? So um, I feel like I'm talking about mythology or like comics. The old ones. Um, yes, we started off with historical, ancient, you know, thousands, like tens of thousands of years ago instruments um, and the sort of recreations. So those were flutes, basically. Um, and then, what, five or six thousand years ago, um, remnants of harps. They've obviously been around longer, but that's those are the earliest remnants we have, and there are some replicas of those. And then, you know, we get to like 2,500 years ago from where we have lots of stuff. Um, so classical Greece, you know, for example. Um, and then you lyres with a Y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like harps you can hold. Um, so lyres and harps. Um, and then we talked about strummed instruments. So strings, but things you generally strum. Yes. Um, so with one string of, um... of things like guitars. Yes. yes. <laughs> what am um... I thinking of? <laughs> I'm sorry. But there's a wide range, of course, right? So um, like one strings, two strings, three strings. Um, so... And a lot of these, of course, are still around. Um, and I do want to say also that, again, thinking of this as an evolution is definitely not fair, right? Things change over time. Um, a lot of people do think, for example, that the piano is the, like, evolutionary superior to the harpsichord, but that is an unfair assessment, right? A piano is different from a harpsichord. Um, and that is that. So anyway, so, um, but yes, yeah, so we talked about those. So like the ektara, it's one string, um, the dutar, specifically the Uyghur dutar, uh, two strings. You might notice like ek, so the one string, du, dutar, two strings, um, three strings, the shamisan, Japanese shamisan to this day is three strings. Uh, we talked about, of course, the zitar is Many an strings. instrument we all know. Yes. <laughs> We all know and love today, um, and is one of these sentences as well. Um, and then the lute, um, the Arabic, which is generally the European version, um, the Arabic oud. Um, and then we talked about some f- fun things. <laughs> um, so the hurdy gurdy, which is a stringed instrument that you turn a wheel and it rubs against the string, um, and then you also play it. Um, but that's part of the um <laughs> method of playing is this wheel um and then things like the psaltery um which is stringed again um and can be plucked or bowed so we also talk about like, the bowed psaltery um and yeah i figured we'd sort of pick up there which is where we left off cool <laughs> um with some more sort of fun similar instruments so strings working working our way through strings um there are some there of course i mean there are so many instruments so this is (laughs) this is just a sort of um general sense of 
the variety of things that are out there and the ways in which they could be modified. Um, I do want to also give a shout out to the Early Instrument Database, I believe it was called, um, Case Western Reserve University. That's courtesy of Dr. Russ Duffin, who is one of the big, big early music scholars. We're actually going to talk somewhat about him and tuning later in this episode. Um, we had threatened the coming of tuning, and we'll have that discussion <laughs> at the end of this episode. Yes. Um, but anyway, so shout out to them. They have a nice sort of database of of these instruments, and you can listen to some of them, and we might play some of those sounds um, as well. But so the dulcimer, it is a strung instrument that is a little bit like a psaltery, um, where it's a sort of piece of flat, we'll of course put images online, but the sort of piece, flat, flattish piece of wood, like a small table, mm -hmm. I guess, but very small. I mean, you can hold it on your lap. Anyway, like a tray. There we go. Kind of like a tray. Okay. Um, but in this case, you generally hit it with little hammers. So the psaltery you would pluck, you could bow it. The dulcimer is generally a hammered dulcimer. Um, so you'll notice we are starting, as with the hurdy-gurdy, not all of these are perfectly placed in a specific category. So this is a string instrument, you know, but like a piano is also a string instrument that you hit with hammers mm -hmm. using keys, right? So oh, true. instruments can be very complex. Um, I feel like I always pictured a dulcimer as looking sort of like a lyre, um, just because of that poem by Coleridge, where he says a damsel with a dulcimer in a vision once I saw. Um, and that was just my assumption of what a dulcimer must look like. Yes. Um, well, you know, she was playing it like this. Uh, we're gonna, This is Ditsy um, from the UK, Ditsy Dulcimer on YouTube. And also, of course, on other places that have music. It's a gorgeous sound. It does sound very much like a harp. Yeah. In a, a lot little, of ways. Like a little right? bit like a harp, a little bit like a harpsichord. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, of course, because you are hitting hitting strings, after mm -hmm. all. <laughs> um, so Case Western Reserve, this is um, from their site. This is a dulcimer with a lute and a bray pin harp, um, which, of course, is a type of harp. So a harp, lute, dulcimer, um, all of which, you know... They are related in certain ways. <laughs> so hopefully you can hear the lute being strummed, the sort of plink plink of the dulcimer, and the pluck pluck of the harp. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> Um, yeah, and of course, that does hopefully sound somewhat medieval. Um, it is worth pointing out again that part of the reason it sounds medieval is the tuning um, and the temperament, which we'll talk about. Um, but also, of course, these instruments, they do sound like instruments we might be used to today, but are slightly different, right? A harp today, the dulcimer we heard, the first one, right, um, that was just the dulcimer alone, it does really sound a lot like a modern harp, but you can hear these differences, right? from the hammers. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, hammers isn't really a good term for what they are, They're, but it is known as the hammered, Mallet, hammered dulcimer. Mallets? Like, kind of, yeah. 
What do you call when you do a xylophone? What do you call those? I, mean, I think it's a mallet. mallet. Yeah. 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 Um, in fact, we will come back to the xylophone. Um, but working our way, <laughs> working our way, working our way. So um, next up, we have the gittern, which is like a lute, only sort of smaller and pear-shaped. Okay. Um, and it's just worth pointing out because it is a little bit different. Um, so here's a gittern. This is the Case Western Reserve site. This is a gittern... Um, with a harp, so. Hmm. So you hear there, it does sound kind of like a high lute. Yeah. Or a little lute, plunkety plunk. And you hear the heart behind it kind of deeper a little bit, right? Um... All right, so we have this great um, <laughs> sort of series, right, of um, instruments that, you know, generally speaking, um, they are all very similar, but there's such a wide variety. Um, and today we just tend to sort of, um, in many ways, flatten things out. So the guitar, um, there are different types of guitars. There are also things like ukuleles and the bass, mm -hmm. um, but there is a kind of there seems frequently to be a kind of flatter range of instruments, right? Right. It isn't really true, because people modify these things in all sorts of ways and create all different things, but we tend to just call them all guitars, right? Mm -hmm. um, people do still play the lute and things, but um, yeah, we don't sort of have the same necessarily precision, just the myriad distinctions. And of course, this is partly because of modern industry. You can make hundreds of guitars that are exactly the same, whereas... Um, a, an instrument maker who is making each instrument by hand, you know, even if they're always making the same kind of lute, they're not all going to be the exact same. I mean, none of mm -hmm. them are going to be exactly the same. Um, so <laughs> that's also, right, it's the standardization of things today is also partly because of industrial, um, not necessarily because of improvement. So that is a reconstruction of a um, 13th to 14th century medieval gittern um, from the workshop medieval. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you can hear it's not quite a lute. It's maybe closing in a little bit, almost on a kind of guitar sound. Something but obviously it doesn't it, have the depth. It's, it's much smaller. Yeah, something about it, it sounds a little bit like a cross between a guitar and like a viola or something. Maybe yes. it's the maybe <laughs> that's the range that they're getting from it. Yeah, essentially. Yes. Um because it does have that much sort of smaller body, so you don't have that really deep resonance. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. So all right, so the fun of all of these strummed string instruments. Um speaking of the viola, we are going to have a quick demo of the uh, viola de gamba, which of course tends to look like a cello. Except if you really know what a cello looks like, it does not look like a cello. No. <laughs> but but if you just look at it briefly, mm -hmm. somewhere, you might be like, oh, a cello. It'd be like, wait, that looks like, that's a weird looking cello. Yeah. 
Um, but my point is basically it is played somewhat like a cello between the knees, you know. Um, I feel like it's the most medieval instrument that f- shows up on uh, public radio all the time. Yes. Like, you can't you can't listen to public radio without somebody being like, that was the Hourglass Quartet featuring Johann Sibelius on the viola da gamba. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and of course, this is partly because, um, you know, as with all the string instruments we just heard except for the dulcimer, but as, you know, the guitar, um, basically, and all of the all of the string instruments we heard last time as well that are strummed, um, there is enough of a similarity between some of them that if you play a guitar, you can play some of them. Mm-hmm. Not all of them necessarily, right? You can't necessarily play an guitar or guitar just because you can play a guitar, <laughs> for sure. Right. Um, but a lute, again, it's not the same. Um, Sting did a fantastic album or two with lutes, a whole Dowland album. It's, real, it's really great. And he studied under a real lutist. Um, and studied for quite a while. I mean, so it's not, it's not instantaneous, even for someone who knows what they're doing. Right. <laughs> or who is very good at what they do. But, um, obviously there are similarities, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the same is sort of true if you can play a cello or an upright bass, you could learn to play the viola da gamba more quickly than someone who did not already have those <laughs> skills, right? <laughs> I think is the point. Um, but it is very different in in a number of ways. It has a lot of strings. Um, it's got slightly different shape as well. It sounds a little cello-like. It does. So that, yeah, right. Um, And it is, it's a kind of remarkable sound. Um, It does clearly have the sensibility of a cello, and yet you can tell that it isn't one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, In ways that are kind of interesting. It's, um, yeah, right. So they're not related, though, right? Like, cellos come from the violin family. Well, they are absolutely related. Yeah. But, you know, the cello, again, is sort of the modern, um, you know, rendition, like the piano is of the harpsichord in some ways. Um, so, and Viola de Gamba, I mean, that was the point that was sort of held between the legs. This mm-hmm. is Italian, right? <laughs> um, but it does have frets. Um, it has six or seven strings, as opposed to the cello, you know, the usual viol yes. these days tends to have four. Four, yeah. Right. Um, so it is a very complex instrument. Cool. So there's this sort of interesting um, sound, though, that it that it makes that is that is sort of recognizable in certain ways, right? Um, but anyway, so that that was Craig Trumpeter playing it. Um, it has been sort of compared to sounding like a cross between a lute and a cello. Um, that is, of course, bowed. Mm-hmm. That feels um, accurate. 
bowed, meaning it uses a bow. <laughs> not that it is. It is actually has a flat back. So <laughs> it is in that sense, not bowed. But yes. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Um, and I should say Craig Trumpeter is the head of Haymarket Opera Company in Chicago. So yeah, Chicago has a great Baroque music scene, early music scene. Just want to give a shout out. They have a number of ensembles um, that are fantastic. So, um, but yeah, so that's sort of our sense of strings <laughs> and the ways in which um, string instruments, you know, there's just this fantastic variety. Um, and they do still stick around. I mean, they absolutely still exist, um, not just because of early music, but because they do provide a sound it, it does provide a sound, for example, that a cello doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So they are still used in things. Um, you just have to have people who are used to them. And the fact that it has a, a sort of non-standard sound in some ways. Right. Um, but I yeah, all right. When, so- when I was an undergrad, I wanted to learn to play the um, contrabassoon. And they told me they only rent them to grad students. Wow. Because I think a contrabassoon costs like $10,000 or something. I assume yes. that um, <laughs> if you're a music grad student, they will rent you the viola da gamba if you want. But For example. Yes, yes, for example. Yes. But yes, that yes, we are talking about the sort of thing where these are still handmade. Um, I mean, many instruments are, but of course mm-hmm. these absolutely are because, you know, they are not... <laughs> They are not needed or asked for on an industrial scale. Um, but also, I would say most people who play music that would use them, the whole point is that you are using an instrument that has been made individually the way it would have been a thousand years ago. Right? Um, and that that is the point, basically. Right. So you, so yes, they, do, they definitely cost a lot. Um, but then they also have this unique sensibility to them. Um, all right. So... Um, I did want to jump into, um, we're going to sort of go through things you can blow next, which is to say winds instruments, um, and then also more things that you can hit. Um, but I do wanted to give a shout out um, to the mouth harp, um, which is a very, very old instrument and doesn't quite fit into any of our other <laughs> categories exactly. Um, it is also known as the jaw harp. And of course, it's frequently been called the Jews harp um, because of jaw harp um, or mouth harp, another way to call it. And they've been around since at least a couple hundred years before the year zero. Um, I mean, ones that we have, sorry, a couple hundred, thousand, thousand years before the mm-hmm. year zero. <laughs> um, they've probably been around a lot longer, but one was actually discovered that's about 1700 years old. Um, they discovered a group of them. They discovered about five, um, in sort of South Central Russia, mountainous region. Um, but one of them still works. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of the guys tried it. The little light bulb shaped thing that you hold it in your mouth and it goes twangy, twang, twang. Yes. That is it. Yep. You hold it in your mouth, it goes twangy, twang, twang. That is exactly how it works. Yes. Um, Originally made of bone or metal or wood. Um, so as per usual, um, you know, all of these things ultimately will disintegrate in the ground. Mm-hmm. Even metal, it will rust away. Um, but yeah, this one that was about 1,700 years old that still worked, and they found five, as I said, that 
that they could recognize. Um, they are presumably much older as well, but that's, that's as far back as they go. Um, but it has long been a very popular instrument because particularly if you're a kind of one man band, so to speak, or a one mm-hmm. woman band. So there we go. Boy, that sounds um, science fiction-y. I don't know. It's- yes. <laughs> we did discuss last time that one of the f- few instruments that exist today that was completely unlike any other, right? Um, because of, you know, the electrical field. Ah, yes. And, um, the theremin. Yes. Which, of course, Doctor Who famously, right, um, uses in their intro. You know, wah, wah, wah. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, we will post that in the notes. Um, but yes, this is a very, very old instrument that nonetheless has that sound, um, which is interesting, because of course, it could sound to us very ritualistic, very traditional. Um, but I think because it that type of vibration is similar to what you get from something like a theremin in the electrical field, that we have transferred our sensibility of this type of vibration to science fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, even though in fact, it's very, very old, of course, to have something that would vibrate in this way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's a quick shout out. Cause that is a very old instrument. It's very simple. Um, it is the sort of thing that, yeah, you can have that in your mouth and sort of go twang twang while you are strumming something else. Also occasionally, you know, um, Anyway, so the idea of being able to play multiple instruments at the same time, that's a good one. You know, it's very easy to carry around. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. So I wanted to give it a shout out because it's definitely important. Um, but we might as well move on to percussion. Um, so obviously for percussion, um, you know, I mean, anything you hit is technically percussion. Um, so um, here is... A, a tabor is just a portable snare drum, basically. Um, they're thought of as usually smaller, but the ones they carry around in marching bands technically count. But usually we think of a much shallower one that you could hold in one hand and sort of hit with one hand, or that you could sort of have strapped to yourself and hit with one hand. Okay. And you would hit it with one hand while you were, like, playing a pipe with the other, which is why a tabor and pipe is a very common medieval combination, because you could be doing both of those things. There's a specific sort of tabor pipe that you could play with one hand, unlike okay. a longer recorder where you'd need two hands, right? So you could play it with one hand, and then you'd use the other hand to hit the table. Right? That feels, so, like, um, very sophisticated. Like, rubbing your head and patting <laughs> your stomach at the same time or something. Yes, obviously, you know, but it's like playing a piano with both hands, right? It's the sort of thing musicians yeah, learn to do. Yeah, I can't do that. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, um, or, you know, bowing and fingering. I mean, you know, you learn these things. Fair enough. Um, but anyway, so here we have, um, yeah, a tabor, pipe and tabor. I think there might be some strings in this too. But anyway, this is from the Case Western Reserve site again, just to give you a sense. It'll, it'll hopefully sound very medieval because this is a sound we really associate. Um, and this is why this, this pipe, because it could go with the tabor and then you might have other instruments as well. So. Um, okay. Yeah, and there you can hear the drum being hit, the pipe being played, and then, of course, some strings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And it occurred to me, uh, Brave Brave Sir Robin in yes. Monty Python Holy Grail, of course, has a minstrel, famously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I rewatched a clip earlier today just to see. Um, you hear all these instruments in the music, but you do not see them all <laughs> um, in the clip, right? They do not hide the fact they recorded this elsewhere. Yes. And then sort of trot along the ground while pretending to be doing it. Um, the one thing that that is that they do have for real and are probably playing for real. There is someone who seems to be playing like a Piper recorder, but it's sort of hard to see. You don't really see the Tabor, although you can hear it. Um, but Neil Inns, who plays the minstrel, right, has does have um, a sort of tambourine <laughs> that he's thumping um, or a timbrel. Right, mm-hmm. as it tended to be called in the Middle Ages, um, but and that's what you see. But you you definitely hear more than that in the soundtrack, <laughs> which is just very funny, of course, along with the rest of it. Yes, but that is the point. Um, but yes, so so, but he does seem to be really playing that. You know, again, this of course they recorded over it, but he does actually have that and is pretty clearly using it, and is occasionally using it for real in the sound clips that go through the scene. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but that is a timbrel, right? Basically a tambourine, um, which also was a great instrument for one person minstrel types um, because you could shake it and hit it and it, you know, had multiple functions and it was yeah. easy to carry. Folk musicians yeah. everywhere favor, you know, you can tie ribbons onto <laughs> it. and Indeed. Yes. Um, yeah. So... That is another excellent example. Um, all right. So um, next up, we're, I know we're doing a lot of Western stuff. Um, we did a little bit, little bit less last time, but we are going to give a shout out. Um, we've actually talked about this before when we talked about, I think, Indonesian um, puppetry, the gamelan. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, it is, of course, part of traditional... Indonesian arts. All right. Um, So a gamelan isn't like a... one specific instrument, right? It's like a whole big thing. Right. Yeah. An orchestra, I guess I should say. Yes. Well, it's specifically, um, it is a variety of sort of various gongs and metal instruments that are sort of tuned to be struck with mallets. Mm-hmm. So it is a specific setup, um, but it's more, as you might think of, like the drum section or a very large... A xylophone organ, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, which is to say, right, that there's sort of multiple layers. There are multiple people, mm-hmm. pr- probably. I mean, there wouldn't necessarily have to be, but um, and there are a variety of things around you. But, you know, like a drum kit um, has a lot of different things on it. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. Yes. Um, except that these tend to be all m- metal, generally. Yes. Okay. Um um, and so that is what it is specifically. Yes. So it could be just a, um, it could potentially be one person mm-hmm. playing all these things. It is generally not, but could be potentially, I suppose. 
So these are pretty old. Like, they must predate the actual unification of Indonesia as, like, one... Oh, yes, yes. I mean, that was was very recent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, in fact, of course, there are, um, you know, Javanese gamelan, Balinese gamelan, um, you know, all different kinds. Everybody has their own, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is very old, for sure. Um, and there are, um, you know, carvings and reliefs going back a thousand years or more. Wow. Um, of people playing it. Yep. So, um, yes, it's one of those, one of those, of course, yeah, traditional, still great, (laughs) um, still in use. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a good one. Um, just because it is also kind of a reminder, um, it's a, such a great sound, right? But it is also a reminder of the history. Um, a lot of things that show up, you know, a lot of these things do show up in the West at various points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a reminder, of course, that they didn't necessarily start here. Yeah, so I think that's a sound that definitely shows up kind of in modern Western music, but is a very traditional form from elsewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the West appropriates everything, so I don't think that's <laughs> I don't think that's like a surprise. But there it is. Um, this is also worth mentioning the xylophone, which is the you know favored instrument of smooth jazz. children everywhere. Maybe not parents. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> yes, that as well. <laughs> Um, but doesn't I everyone get a toy xylophone? A couple of xylophones in our time. I was gonna say yes. I I would assume. Hmm. Yes. Well, the xylophone comes from Central or West Africa, um, and examples. Um, I mean, so there are a number of examples, but um, today um, you have things like um, the marimba and the balafon which is actually mentioned by Ibn Battuta, who is one of the medieval travel writers that we have mentioned before. Yeah, and I figure we might as well have a quick, um, oops, a quick sound. This is Famoro Dubate. brilliant about that because there are times when it almost sounds like a piano or something yeah right well Um, so fun fact i played um marimba in high school briefly as what part of the marching band um i feel like i did not know this (laughs) oh i stood at the the edge of the field during football games instead of marching but um yeah because i was a bassoonist and bassoon did not march for ah which is disappointing, honestly. Right. But right. the the I don't wanna call it the the keys are laid out very similar to a piano. Um, with, you know, your main row of of keys and then there's the 
the groups of three and two on the second row above that are sort of like the black keys on a piano. So if you can Mm -hmm. read treble clef and sort of understand um, the layout of a, of a piano keyboard, you can sort of transfer that to playing marimba or xylophone. That's fantastic. Vibraphone also very similar. Yeah. So that was the balaphone. Um, And yeah, absolutely. Right. It's, and it's brilliant because, of course, you know, we give them to kids as toys because whatever, but of course, they are amazing instruments. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because, which is the true of the recorder as well, right? It's sort of made fun of because everyone gets one in school, but really, it can be a phenomenal instrument if you know how to play it. Mm-hmm. The problem is just if all you've heard is toddlers banging, <laughs> on, their, <laughs> banging on their rainbow xylophones, yes. that you may not have a full appreciation for what this instrument can do. Um, but that's awesome. I definitely do not remember hearing about this. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> what? That's fantastic. Um, yay. Well, there we are then, right? And also a reminder, right, that it is a musical instrument that requires notation, which is a thing we'll talk more about next time with composers. Um, but yeah, like all music instruments, right, that they are mm-hmm. they are very complex. It does amazing things if you have someone who knows what they're doing. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. Okay. Um, so this is sort of our, I would say, our things that you hit. <laughs> um, a nice sort of summary, a nice summary of, of things that you hit. Um, there are, of course, also things like symbols um, that you clash together, you know, but these are all things I would say we're still familiar with. We're, we're mm-hmm. generally familiar with the types of things that you hit. They haven't changed a whole lot. Um you know, sizes and shapes and yeah. things, but really they're kind of the same. I was <laughs> going to say gongs seem yes, pretty gongs, old. Of course. Like, that, oh, that's gosh, not a hard yes. technology to master, I bet. No. Um, you know, and of course, if you want to play them really well, again, like there are ways to, you know, mm-hmm. play them in very, very interesting, intricate ways. But yes, we are generally familiar with them. So we will sort of hurry on um, to wind instruments. Um, there is a bit of a... Um, jump here just because the organ um which is in many ways technically a wind instrument although the earliest ones from like the 200s 200s before the common era um were water organs wow um yes where there was water that sort of poured over it so you could push the pedals you know um but it was not a hugely common instrument of course until the late middle ages (laughs) when it becomes synonymous with um I mean, in the West, of course, it becomes synonymous basically with the church, right? Um, and everyone gets one. Um, and that becomes true, of course, through the Renaissance. Um, but anyway, so we do want to give a shout out to organs. They are older than you might have thought. Um, I feel like we probably don't need to play any. Um, as everybody who has seen Phantom of the Opera will... This is actually my ringtone on my phone. (laughs) I love Bach. Nice. Um, So that's Bach organ music. I actually want to give a shout out to Nancy Keto, who's a great friend of um, my husband's and is a brilliant, brilliant organist and early music person. Um, And 
We will link to her stuff on YouTube. She's fantastic. Um, but also, it's a reminder of just how many extraordinary things that instrument can do. Um, and yeah, it's one of those just remarkable instruments. But as we heard there, right, that's a very, very famous opening. Um, I discuss in my classes, like, why organs and horror music go together. Um, and of course, it's very much because of the, the way ritual religious ritual and horror go together, right? If you interrupt a religious ritual or you do it wrong, you invite in the devil usually. This is horror. Um, and organ music is a fantastic symbol of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes, that's a that's a sort of great moment. Um, but all right, so organs aside. Oh, I was going to say, hmm? um, yes. Neil Stevenson wrote a book called Cryptonomicon. And although, in general, I don't, recommend it there's a really interesting <laughs> section where he just sort of explains how organs work and so sure. if you're if you're sure. curious about the ways that organs work and how that might be similar to a computer oh um, wow yes you should you should look that part up yes which of course is why you can play them potentially right with a card or a um you know there yes. are organs you can play that way Mm-hmm. pianos more famously but yeah um yeah absolutely <laughs> yes i mean the stops and the everything there's a video actually that nancy keto posted on her facebook page that was sort of she was sort of said you know i feel so bad for this person it was this clip that was going around of this organist who i guess pulled the wrong stop something <laughs> for their very last chord and when they so they come down, you know, they do this big finish, and then they're, you know, do whatever it is that clearly shifts. And they didn't mean to, where they clearly shifted something, which means like, and so they hit their last chord, and it's completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, oh. and it's one of those cringe, oh, just cringe, cringe, cringe moments. But um, the reminder of just how, you know, specific there's so many bells and whistles. Yes. But how specific you have to be. <laughs> yes. If you've yes. ever looked at um, an organ, there's like oof. usually a couple of keyboards. There's like foot oh, pedals. Gosh. Yes. The pedaling um, is a huge thing. There's like yeah. things that you pull and push and, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a thing. But um, all right. So now we're moving on to what is my favorite thing. About the Middle Ages, maybe, when it comes to instruments. And this is mm -hmm. medieval bagpipes. So we are going to upload pictures. There are going to be links. Um, the medieval bagpipe is much simpler than the modern bagpipe in the sense that um, there are generally fewer um, pipes. And it is a simpler, I mean, simpler, um, less technologically intricate bag because, you know, it's actually like made out of just sewn leather or something. Um, Wait, what this technology means, of course, is in a modern bagpipe bag? Well, just that they are, you know, they have been standardized, mm -hmm. right? So um, it's a standard shape and size. There are a ton of pipes that come off of it. It's a very, very complex instrument. I mean, it's an incredibly complex instrument. Oh. Um, but the medieval ones look much simpler. But that does not mean that they're actually simpler because, of course... You know, they're a little idiosyncratic because a lot of things, the modern ones have some of the stability, various things, the standardized sound, um, you aren't necessarily going to get from a medieval bagpipe or a recreation of a medieval bagpipe. Um, 
Fair enough. That being said, I super love it because they're they're awesome. Um, so here's a troop. You'll hear the tambourine as well, of course, and the drum. Um, we will post this. This is Hurricane Productions, um, and they also have someone doing a little marionette cat. Um, it's anyway. nice to hear a bagpipe not playing, like, Danny Boy. Yes. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, but, yeah. But this, right, the sound, of course you recognize that it's a bagpipe, but in some ways it's a much, um, it's a, it's a sort of higher, it's a less resonant sound, mm-hmm. um, but there's also a way in which it doesn't have, I would say a lot of things that people, you know, when people complain about bagpipes, there's a sort of whine. Um, and it it doesn't in some ways have the same whine quite. You can tell. I mean, it's still a bagpipe, but... Um, yeah, the drone is a lot different. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so, yeah, they're just a f- phenomenal instrument. They look great. I mean, they look kind of like you're holding a bird with like a really long, like a swan with a really long neck under your <laughs> arm. Um, and that's got like another thing coming off its back. Um, but it's it's just this really interesting sort of, um, you know, mm-hmm. bag pipe is how it gets its name, of course. Um, but yeah, they're phenomenal. Um, and it's this sort of great reminder of... Uh, sometimes, you know, more complexity standardization really changes the sound in ways that um, we might not expect. I would say also modern bagpipes, of course, we're used to having them played much slower, mm-hmm. um, which I think is also partly due to the complexity of them. Um, it's not that they can't be played faster, but they're less likely to be. <laughs> um, whereas a medieval bagpipe is a very sort of... Um, versatile instrument really mm-hmm. yeah i love them they're awesome all right so anyway they're just so much fun um because it is that reminder right an instrument can be the same instrument and be not the same instrument right um it's like you know a soprano saxophone for example yes um all right so um moving on to other things that you may have heard about there are many many types of horns um horns have been around for we don't know how long because they were made of horn, quite frequently, right? Animal horn, bone, shell, like a conch shell, mm-hmm. um, wood, metal. Um, by about 500 BCE, a lot of areas were using bronze. Um, but, you know, these things do tend to disintegrate. So, again, we don't know mm-hmm. really how old, but they're, so they're tons and tons. So like a shofar, right? Yes, a shofar is absolutely, it's a horn. It's a ram's mm-hmm. horn. Yes, 100%. Um, so a shofar is a horn, a didgeridoo is a trumpet made of wood, bamboo. Um, didgeridoo, it should point out, is not the Aboriginal name for it. Um, each group tends to have its own name for it, and none of them are didgeridoo. Where, where does that come from? I mean, it's sort of unclear. Is this like the word but, apocryphal, p- potentially, for kangaroo, meaning 
somebody said, what's that animal called? And the guy said, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't even think it's that. I think it's more, um, you know, Westerners putting words together like a thingamabob. <laughs> it's a didgeridoo. Um, but, you know, uh. potentially based on what they thought someone had said, mm-hmm. but not necessarily because it, it's not really like anyone's word for it. So it's, it's just kind of unclear. Okay. You know, how these things happen. Um, but sort of on, on that note, um, there are some really interesting... I mean, there are a lot a of really Vuvuzela? interesting horns. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, anything you can blow through is a horn or a trumpet. Okay. I mean, generally speaking. <laughs> uh, unless, you know, if it has um, holes that you cover with your fingers, then it's some type of pipe or recorder or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's just about how you blow through it, then it is a horn. Um if the blowing through it is what gets you your sound, ah. <laughs> right? If you do not have little holes for your fingers. Um, yes. Apparently, vuvuzelas are more modern. Oh, they definitely are, yes. Yeah. But but they are, I mean, I would assume they're a horn of some kind. Yeah. Does it say? Yeah. I was um, thinking they look like alpin horns, except mm, yeah. alp horns are, like, super big. Yes. Well, here's a cow horn, um... If you are interested. Yes. <laughs> so a medieval cow horn, a Galician cow horn, in fact. So, wait, is it hmm? made from a cow? Or is it... Yes. It's not played by a cow. Right. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> although, that would be fantastic. No. Uh, it is played by Abraham Cupiro, um, who is a fantastic musician, but also is very, very interested in recurating old instruments. Um, and so... This is one example. And of course, I mean, a shofar is a ram's horn. So this is basically, you know, but um, yeah. I should point out he's being oh. accompanied by an accordion that is a much more modern accordion. But... You know, for anyone who's heard a shofar, it's um, not unlike a shofar in a lot of ways. Um, that is the sound you get. Now, having just said that, you know, if you cover things with your fingers, it's a pipe or something. Um, he is actually doing that. He has drilled holes in it. Oh. And he is, you know, so that's how he's getting the transition. You know, trumpets do that, of course, right? They have stops. Right. Um, but yes, so he's, yeah, but that's how you do it. I mean, it, and it sounds, it does sound like a shofar, but played by someone who is a classical trumpetist. <laughs> Trumpeter. Um, yeah. It's a plot of the so, jazz musician. Well, I mean, <laughs> you mean the, the jazz singer? Yeah, yeah. Well, in that case, he, he just wants to sing jazz. Yeah. Um, oh, he sings. I thought he... He sings. Okay. He's the son of a cantor. Yeah. The movie I made up in my head was a lot more interesting, I guess. Yes. Well, of course, it was player. remade with Neil Diamond, right? Which is the one we should talk about because it doesn't use blackface. Okay. <laughs> I assume. Um, the Al Jolson one, of course, does. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, in addition to which, there's a great SNL skit that's about how you shouldn't wear blackface. Right. And it's Keenan Thompson talking to a group of people 
who aren't understanding this, um, in supposedly in Virginia because of the fact that our governor did wear blackface and had to apologize, and then I think someone else had and had to put anyway. And so the SNL did this skit that was like, you know, in the Virginia State House, and it's Keenan Thompson talking to everybody and being like, okay, how many of you wore blackface? Anyway, and um, they're all trying to make up excuses, and one of them was, is, is, you know, well, what if I, what if it was my Halloween costume? And he's like, well, it doesn't matter, but, you know, what was your costume? Um, and the guy goes, L. Jolson. Haha. <laughs> 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 all right. <laughs> Anyways, so, um, Yes, a reminder of just, yeah, the intertwining of race and religion and blackface and music is something that we do not have time for in this episode. And also, it's a little more modern in this sense. Yes. Um, But I talk about it a lot in my classes, because people don't realize how much of modern entertainment stems from, you know, racist minstrel shows. (laughs) Um, A lot of it. Anyway. Um, But the medieval horn... Sounding, you know, that is an actual horn, like a shofar, um, mm-hmm. has a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous sound. Um, yes. So here's another one. Um, so this, in this one, um, he has recreated um, a carnix, which is a trumpet, I guess, um, of the Iron Age Celts, basically. So probably kind of between 200 and 200 on both sides of the year zero-ish. Um so a bronze trumpet with this really, this really long S shape, like it's really long. So you hold it and like goes way up. Um, and the end could be shaped as something really interesting. And um, they actually discovered one that he, that he has sort of recreated. So they discovered oh. um, sort of amazingly, they found uh, in 2004, I think an almost complete one. Uh, so he recreated it. You'll hear the chill in the accordion with him. So that is wow. The Kerrigs, yeah, isn't that an amazing sound? <laughs> that is, yeah, I've never heard anything quite like that. Yeah, it's this incredible sort of like almost wail, right? Um, this really, really high sort of wail, um, and trumpets can wail. I mean, we say that mm-hmm. all the time, but it really sounds like a sort of mourning. Yeah, sound. it does. It does not oh, have the brassy morning. sound that that trumpets have. It does not. It's a yeah. very different sound yes which is amazing because of course it is it is metal right (laughs) um but yeah it has this just incredible sound yeah um and it actually it does have a little bit in common with the animal horn sort of right so there there is this interesting sense of that that sound, right, as being the sound that you had from sort of horns and trumpets. Um, you did, of course, have the brassier ones as well, eventually. Um, you know, we've probably all heard of kind of the um, medieval flourish on the trumpets. Um, but 
these, you know, there's so many sounds that were out there. So I just, it was worth giving us a little bit of a rundown of, of some of them. Um, and I figured, yeah, we'll just do a little bit of um, now sort of group, group music. <laughs> what do things sound like as groups? Groups of ensembles of all the instruments together that we've heard. Um, so we talked last time, actually, again, about um, the songs for Santa Maria right, Mary, that were attributed to Alfonso of Castile. We had talked about them previously because one of them talks about how his she saved his, his ferret. ferret. And these came with music, <laughs> right? They are songs. They have music. Um, so there's a famous image um, of two lutists playing together, um, a Christian musician and an Arabic musician um, on a lute and an oud, or maybe two ouds. Um, so here... Here's a couple playing uh, one of these songs. So that's Adel Salama um, on the oud, and Jacob Herringman on the lute, playing one of those. Okay. Um, and so that's, you know, the two lutists, which we actually see in the manuscript, an image of, I mean, a lutist and an, an oudist, I'm not actually sure. Um, but anyway, so we actually see an image of two, you know, men playing together um, in the manuscript. Now we're going to hear um, a sort of... Um, I guess group <laughs> um, group sound an entire ensemble um, playing some of these so this is Sequentia it's one of the big medieval groups so this is also a reminder that of course um one of the things about medieval music is that a lot of times you can use the instruments and voices that you want because it's only sort of going to be specified. It may definitely not be specified at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, <laughs> right. You can have the two ludists just playing it. Um, you can have voices and instruments, you, you know, it all sort of depends. So yeah, here we go. So you notice in that case we have him, I'm not sure if we can hear it because I'm holding this up, but we'll definitely link to it, um, with a pipe. Alright, and then vocal harmony, right? Um, so, <laughs> um, these are the sort of, right, you get a lot of variations on um, how, how you can do things, really, because you, you sort of get your choice of how you want to do um, the instruments you want to use, if you want to include voices, um, you know, it's sort of up, up to the group. Here's a dance.
Um, and we hear live instruments we've talked about. Um, so, yeah. Um, the sort of fun sensibilities of um, what you want to include, basically. <laughs> um, so... Right. Um, yeah. So uh, the of course, right. You hear the sort of the drum, the plucking. Right. So um, something like a lute, um, perhaps a psaltery, hurdy gurdy. Yes. <laughs> All these things. All right. Um, so this is our sort of rundown. Right. Instruments. Um, we'll talk more about sort of notation and composers and have some fun examples next time, but I wanted to close out with tuning and temperament because yeah. really, you know, I keep saying that this, you know, those sound medieval, those dances mm -hmm. sound medieval. It's partly because of the instrument, but it's really also because of the tunings. Um, so <laughs> just a quick rundown. Tuning is about the adjustment of pitch, right? If something is out of tune, you are missing the pitch that you want. Right. right. You are not hitting the pitch. <laughs> um, this is the sort of thing that everyone learns at some point if they have to take music, mm -hmm. right? That you are on pitch or you are not. Right. Um, so you might be a little sharp or flat. Right. If you've ever been to the orchestra, right, you, you go before mm -hmm. the conductor comes out. The um, Usually the oboe plays an F for all of the wind and brass instruments to tune to. And then the... Mm -hmm first violin yep. plays in yes. A and, and all the strings tune um, to that. Yeah, and yeah. again, I think we had mentioned last time that of course if you're an actual early music ensemble, you have to retune between each movement because you're using natural strings um, not a modern fiber um, like nylon, and so you have to retune it consistently. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's about pitch, so you could be too high or low meaning sharp or flat, right? Um, so that's tuning. Now, um, the adjustment of pitch. Temperament um, describes the system of tuning being used. So we assume, like, there is an A. <laughs> there is right. a C. And that's not actually true. Um, this is, of course, why Western music is different from non-Western music, for example. Um, and even within the West, why there are plenty of variations. Um and of course, really everywhere, there are tons and tons of variations. Um, and that is because everyone comes up, first of all, with their own notes and scales. Right? Um, and what you think consists, mm -hmm. what you think, you know, a scale consists of, basically. Um, it wasn't a lot like today. If I want to tune my cello, I can hop on the internet and find a tuning website and it will play me an A. Yes. But I assume that. In the year 1300, I wouldn't have had that luxury. I would just... Right. Um, but more than that, you had a lot of kind of options. Because um, depending on the key that you're playing in... So again, this is still Western right? key signatures. Everyone's got their own, but we are using sort of what is known as like the Circle of Fifths from the West, um, where you have basically, what, 24, right? With major and minor and stuff. Um, so all of the possible key signatures mm -hmm. that, that the Western scales have, and they don't all work the same, right? So, um, a major scale and minor scale, one of the things is that they, it has slightly different intervals, um, at different points. Right. And so the interval is the space between the notes, 
basically. <laughs> it's like either usually a full step or a half step, right? Yes. Like a, a, yeah. a sharp or a flat changes the pitch by a half step. Yes. Um, this is, of course, Western because, again, for example, um, so like modern, a, mo- a modern Arabic system would be 24 tone equal temperament, which is quarter tones. Mm-hmm. Um, which we do not have. <laughs> right. That is not a thing that we do. Um, although, again, we can. Um, and definitely, the, you know, there are Western composers that do this. Um, but that is that sort of sensibility. So um, in this way, yeah, um, we have the interval between um, notes... <laughs> um, shifts a little bit. So, for example, a third, hmm. um, a third from like C to E, C D E, right? Yeah. Um, is not standardized. That space, you know, we all think I think immediately of a piano, right? You can hit the chord on the piano; it's always going to be the sure. same. It's the same space apart <laughs> always. But it, in reality, it does not have to be. Mm-hmm. Because your C could be a little bit lower and your E could be a little bit higher. So it can be kind of a wide third. Or you could have a very, like, narrow third. Um, so thirds and fifths. Tuning systems tended to be laid around thirds and fifths. And the idea, you can't really have both. <laughs> you can have really good thirds or really good fifths, and you can't really have both. Huh. And this is the problem. Which is why, if you're playing this song... You need good thirds, but if you're playing that song, you need good fifths. And your thirds might be a little wonky, but your fifths will be great. So you would retune. You'd be playing things in different temperaments. This is known as a temperament. The temperament is the tuning system you have chosen with either good thirds or good fifths or some sort of compromise between the two or something else entirely. Okay. So what that means, (laughs) um, here's a quick sense of a quarter tone scale, by the way. This is from Wikipedia. All right. So you can tell, right? That's, we're not used to that. (laughs) Right? We're used to a bigger jump. Right? So, um, but you can tell, obviously, and obviously if you play something like a guitar, you can make every single, you know, you can just slide your finger along that string. There, you can hit every single note. Um, so you well, can a easily, yeah. Like a guitar violin, has absolutely. frets, so the frets. Well, yes. Stop the. Theoretically. Theoretically, <laughs> they're yes. fretless guitars. That's true. Yes, um, but yes, but that idea. Um, so yeah, a violin. Um, you can just slide your finger up and down. Wah 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 wah. Right. <laughs> and um, I'm just thinking because people do it, of course, on the guitar. But yes, um, yeah. So this idea of you can sort of hit every note. Um, and so, therefore, you can really, you can decide what that interval is. How big do you want your thirds? How pure do you want your fifths? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, temperament, the type of tuning being used, historically, there are some specific things that were chosen. Um, but they tended to land around fifths, especially like Pythagorean tuning is based on fifths. Um, but then, as you sort of head through the Middle Ages into the Renaissance, they tend to start to like thirds more um this is of course still in the west because other people are doing other things other places obviously but this idea of tuning is where we get our sense of 
slowly over time of what we now think of as Western music. Um, and the sense of temperament is what we're used to, right? So this is the thing. You hear stuff from before basically 1700, um, even before 1600. And the tuning can be different, right? The temperament might be any number of things that we aren't as used to. So you might not recognize it immediately, but you might be hearing thirds or fifths that don't sort of mesh with our standard sensibility. And therefore, it sounds to you as old, or maybe, you know, like it is from somewhere else. Maybe it sounds non-Western. And this is all because we're not used to that type of temperament. Um, and this is where we come back to um, <laughs> Ross Duffin, who wrote a book called How Equal Temperament Ruined Harmony and Why You Should Care. Um, strong, strong take in the title. Yes. Um, today... So what happens is we get to well, what is known as well temperament. This is, of course, where we say someone is well tempered. <laughs> it's the uh, was it Bach wrote that? This thing, is the well tempered. Yes, the well tempered clavier. Yes, everyone should listen to Glenn Gould play it. Um, but the well tempered clavier, yeah, the well temperament um, comes to prominence, sort of you know, with Bach, but anyway, in the 17th century, and the idea is that you never had to retune your instrument. Now, it had been around before. It's just that no one had really liked it because you, you know, you were playing things in this one key and you really wanted, you wanted this type of tuning. And if you switched to a different key, you wanted a different type of tuning. Mm -hmm. You weren't necessarily looking for sort of the easiest thing to do. But Bach wrote the Well-Tempered Clavier where you could use every single key in the circle of fifths, right? He could go through all 24 and um, never have to retune, right? The thirds would never get so bad or the fifths would never get so bad in any one of those that you would feel like you had to retune. Okay. So that's well temperament. Today, we mostly use equal temperament, which means tw we use a 12-tone equal temperament. So he said the Arabic is 24 tones, quarter tones. Mm -hmm. We use the 12 tones, so that's half tones. Um, it divides an octave into 12 equal tones, um, which is great in many ways and is fine, but also you see how, like, if you've divided your active exactly equally, um, you do lose a lot of the sort of possibilities that are given to you if one interval is just a little bit bigger or smaller than another somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right? That sort of personality you can get, <laughs> um, which is where the sensibility comes from, right? Ruined. Ruined everything. And this is why. Um, it's a, a little unfair because, of course... Equal temperament has done many wonderful things, but it is why I think I said last time, right, that a piano anywhere in the world um, is going to be tuned this way, and you're not going to retune a piano every time, because it's a piano. Um, and so any orchestra using that piano is going to have to tune itself that way, right? So for that reason, Western music has really set this standard, right? If you're going to write this type of music, this is the standard it's going to be. Um, so it really has sort of taken on this dominant sensibility. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of our hearing comes from. Yes, these instruments are different, right? A lute does not sound like a guitar. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think the greater difference actually does come a little bit with the tuning. Um, so and which the ways in which temperament, we can hear it, maybe not, we not, might not recognize it immediately, but we can hear it. Yeah. So how do we know about this? Like, Obviously, the the actual instruments in these tunings, we don't have that. Do, was there a way of notating that you wanted a, 
a wide fifth or something? Or did they just yes. play through things until they were like, yeah. oh, that one sounds better? No. Well, everyone wrote it down. It's very mathematical in some ways, although the math has been also potentially a little overstated. But, um, you know, Pythagoras. Um, mm-hmm. So since the Greeks and before, and this is true really around the world, people wrote about musical theory. Um, and it has always been seen as very mathematical, even though in a lot of ways it isn't, right? If it were actually mathematical, it would all work out. Um, you wouldn't have this problem with intervals not working. Um, around the world, people like Pythagoras in Greece, and also people did this other places, um, had this idea of music as mathematical, right? Which is why you right. have things like octaves that you could divide into pieces and intervals. Um, and music around most of the world does have variations on these themes, even though other people have different types of intervals, right? Quarter tones, different types of key signatures, all of these things. Um, the thing is that the math doesn't work perfectly. Because if it did, you wouldn't have this problem of not being able to have perfect thirds and perfect fifths all at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, so it, it doesn't quite work. <laughs> the math doesn't quite work. Um, and so... And the point, you know, you can divide things to like infinite decimals and whatever, but obviously that's a thing you can do modern. You couldn't do that then necessarily. I mean, it could have. It would have taken a long time. Um, but the point is really that it is mathematical, but also there are specific ways in which it isn't. Okay. Right. Um, and we think, oh, but sound waves, it must perfectly this, that, the other. Mm, but that's, that's not actually quite how it works. You know, mm-hmm. obviously harmonies, yes, this is how they work. So that is how sound works, but they're, is part of this, it should be said, comes from sort of the idea that exists in the West, but exists in other ways in other places of things like the the music of the spheres. Right. Right. So that there's a kind of divine harmony. Right. Um, And that that was thought of as many ways as very literal, a sort of literal divine harmony Um, that, right. So that God is sort of that creation plays this music. Now that turns out to maybe be a little bit true. If you look at the sort of waves that the universe has, but it is not music in the sense that you can hear it with your ears necessarily. <laughs> um, but right, but this idea. So they, so the amount of yeah. stuff that was written about mm-hmm. tuning instruments is actually kind of extraordinary. There's quite a lot of it historically in the West, you know, and even you know other places as well. India, for example. Um, so we know quite a lot really about what they thought of music, about music theory. In a lot of places in the world, going back hundreds of years, um, we will talk more about notation, like actual notation next time. But notation, we actually, that of course is harder. The actual, you know, keeping actual compositions around through notation is harder. But music theory is everywhere. People were constantly writing about music theory and how they thought music should work and what they thought it should be like. Right. And this is, of course, the sort of ironic thing is people always writing about art and what they think it should be like. Um, but do yeah. you find any examples of it? <laughs> right? Um, and so sometimes you don't. In this case, of course, again, it is unlikely for us to, but every now and then we do, right? Um, like finding a, you know, finding a basically complete Carnix in 2004. I mean, you know, occasionally these things happen. And they're like, oh, this instrument is a real thing that people had. Here it is. We thought it was, but here's a whole one, you know? Um so, yes, you know, so we do find these things um, and people recreate them and then demonstrate that they could be tuned the way people said they would have been. 
in their theory, <laughs> basically. <laughs> right. Um, and that's actually one of the liars that we played last time. That was exactly what happened was they recreated it. And then um, some of the things they had, right, they had something that was sort of um, the tuning. Okay. And they said to themselves, aha, this is enough to tell us <laughs> um, how this instrument mm -hmm. would have sounded, right? Um, yeah. And so that's so, um, but th music theory, yes, people wrote lots and lots of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is a kind of, it is a kind of interesting mm -hmm. element to music because, of course, frequently the instruments don't last the actual compositions don't last because notation is difficult to sort of pass on. Um, but the music theory that people are writing sticks around. Yeah. Um, because as with sort of math or philosophy, um, <laughs> you know, these are the kinds of writings that, that do last, right? Um, but there is, yes, there is something very interesting about that fact. Because then, of course, when you do find an instrument or you recreate an instrument, um, then you try it out. Right, you tune it and you say, "Does this work? <laughs> um, does this tuning work on this instrument? Um, what does it sound like?" Okay. Yeah. Um, but that was, um, yeah, the Hurrian hymn that was found on a cuneiform tablet um, in Syria, Ugarit, Syria, um, from around 1400 BCE. That includes um, this nearly complete hymn, and one tablet presented a tuning method for a Babylonian, Babylonian lyre, um, and another referred to intervals, right? Um, and that's what you need, right? Because that is knowing what they thought about pitch, knowing where they thought you should be on the pitch, and knowing what the mm -hmm. interval is, that is your temperament, and that tells you what it should sound like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was from last time we, we played that one. Um, but yeah, so there we are. Um, but that is also why, because we're so used to this equal temperament today, Music that isn't played in it is going to sound old or non-Western, right. um, even if it is, in fact, Western and new, okay. which is funny. Um, but it is also a reminder that um, we might think, oh, hearing these instruments is what makes it sound older. Sometimes that's true. We don't get a lot of hurdy-gurdies <laughs> today. Um, but a lot of times it's really more about the, the tuning. We're just not used to hearing um, those sort of intervals, basically. Um, and we can link, there's a great, um, YouTube video that we'll link to. There, there are a number of these, of course, but, um, there's a good one with Bach <laughs> specifically, um, where there's a musician playing it in several different, um, temperaments. The, uh, one of the preludes, I think, in several different temperaments. Um, and one of them is sort of, mean tone, which means good thirds, and then Rameau, which is sort of compromise. Four of the major, uh, pure major thirds are sacrificed, but you don't get a sort of the wolf fifth. Um, and then Kernberger, um, only one pure third between Cini. <laughs> um, so anyway, and so listening to the three different um, temperaments. Yeah. Interesting names. Okay, we'll have to talk more about this next time. Yes. Well, those are the people who um, did it. But yes, so we will start here next time. Sounds good. Well, um, we're going to have to call it there. Thank you for joining me. And thank you to everyone for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can drop us a review on 
Apple Podcasts or pretty much whatever podcast app you use might have a rating system. We are also on Facebook um, if you search for Ask a Medievalist. And we have a website at askmedievalist.com. You can contact us there using the contact us form or send questions to questions at askamedievalist.com. I think that's it. Yeah. Cool. So until next time, uh, keep well-tempered and uh, keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 